You are listening to Mahogany Says Radio Show with Mahogany Silvering. MahoganySilvering.net. author Mahogany Silver Rain comes the book Tell Me You Love Me. Tell Me You Love Me is a paranormal and diverse romance novella. This is the first book in the Kenya Clark series. Breaking the Laws of Magic, a supernatural serial killer is unleashed on the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Special Agent Kenya Clark of the GBI Paranormal Crimes Investigation Unit has been given the case. Her partner hates anything to do with the supernatural. Kenya has a gift that allows her to see the crime through the eyes of the victim. However, in this case, she sees through the eyes of the killer. To solve the case, she must find out where her connection to the killer is. But will she and her partner be able to work together? Tell Me You Love Me from author Mahogany Silver Rain is available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions, as well as the author's website, MahoganySilverRain.net. Tell Me You Love Me from author Mahogany Silver Rain. Order your copy today. You are listening to Mahogany Says Radio Show with Mahogany Silvering. MahoganySilvering.net. Well, hello and good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the Mahogany Says Show. I am your host, Mahogany Silverine, and we've got a great show for you tonight. So I know everyone's like sequestered here, and I have self quarantine because of coronavirus. But we will chill and have fun inside. We don't have to be out in front of everybody's face and coughing and hacking. But people realize it is allergy season, so not every sneeze or cough is contributing to the virus. So please take a chill pill, calm down. It'll be all right. So tonight we have. A really special author. I read his book. We exchanged. We met on Facebook, and it was really great. I felt like I was in a 1940s novel just reading it. It was amazing. But Carlo Cavazzuti, he's here in studio with us, and I believe he's also joined by his wife. Is that right, Carlo? Yeah. Yes, she's listening uh, on her phone to the to the podcast, and she's also my. Um, Got the word publicist. Thank you, Cynthia. <laughs> yes, so that works out pretty good. I don't have to pay her. <laughs> oh, she says she'll take it in trade. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I just I I do, I do cook for her, so you know she just gets some benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carla, tell us a little bit about you. Work. I've worked with. Uh, have interaction with motorcycle gangs, mafia members. Uh, I've done homicide work, and homicide.
outside work can be absolutely grueling. Oh, I and bet. After I retired, yeah, yeah. And it's sometimes you just have to work the scene for hours on end, especially if you're also the person that has to collect the evidence and do a lot of photographs. Uh, it's, it's not like what they show on TV. Right, it's much more grueling than that, I, I would imagine. Long hours. Right, right. I walked in a house one day with a bunch of new guys, uh, and everywhere there was blood all over, all over the walls, all over the fireplace, the dining room, the kitchen. There was blood on the side door stoop. There was uh, a basement window, and there was uh, there was skin and hair on there and blood. And we found the girl's vehicle in the garage, and that was just soaked in blood where her and her boyfriend had been fighting. And he, he, he eventually killed her. He dragged her back into the house. And he oh smashed, her face into the, smashed her face into the corner of the fireplace. And we could tell by the blood splatters um, that's where uh, he had killed her. He left her there laying in the middle of the floor uh, mm-hmm. with a big blanket over, and he just covered it up. He folded up all wow. his clothes. He folded up his bloody clothes, and uh, the evidence spoke for itself. We took about 200 photographs. We cut pieces of the hardwood floor out uh, because it had his boot print on there. We we had to tag and bag all the clothes. We found blood mm-hmm. that had dripped down into the basement of the house. And it, you have to, you I can have imagine, to yeah. focus on, on the problem. Yeah, the cases that really got me the most were young children. Uh, yes. They were hurt or abused and everything. That would get me too. Oh, wow. I don't know what kind of the mentality it must take. And people often dismiss or overlook and right now we're living in a society where a lot of people are against our police officers who are supposed to be our protectors but uh, they have this they're more afraid of the police than they are of anything else and they don't understand or realize what you go through and my family is in law enforcement and it's just and I was in law enforcement myself but uh, a lot of people if you haven't been in it and you I've never I was never a detective I didn't investigate any crime scenes but that sounds just horrific, and the toll it must take on a lot of police officers. Right, and the two biggest ways a police officer gets hurt is a traffic stop or a domestic. Uh, one yes. minute you have a woman that's crying and she's bleeding. You go to take her husband away, and all of a sudden she shapeshifts, if I may use that word, uh, into a violent maniac because there goes her source of income, food, uh, support for the kids. And right. it can shift very quickly into a very violent scene. Um, car stops, you never know who you're stopping. Uh, so you have to be prepared. And I said, well, bring it back to the car when you get it. He brings it back to the car and I'm writing out the summons. My partner says, Charlie, Carlo, he's got a gun. And uh, sure enough, he had the butt of a snub-nosed revolver sticking out the back of his pants. Oh. We both went up to the, yeah, we both 
our guns drawn. Um, he did have a license to carry, uh, but he was being a little careless with how he was carrying it. And exactly, yeah. We uh, had his permit taken away because he was flashing it in the pub. He could have got killed very easily. For, yes, for just I for having it, yes. Right. I was in a bank one day, off duty, and the guy in front of me goes up to the, the teller. I sidestepped a little bit to my left, and I realized it was, to use the typical expression, the village, local village idiot. Uh, <laughs> this guy wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. And, wow. Uh, he, he, yeah, yeah. And I almost pulled my gun and put him down on the floor. And I had a little come-to-Jesus talk with him. And so you can't say that in a bank. And the bank didn't want him arrested. We, you know, we obviously all knew who he was. And uh, I let him go with a stern warning. But, uh, yeah, you can't joke around like that. Not at all. My no, 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 you can't. No, you can't. But, uh, and, you know, my advice to these young men out there now, if you can pull over, I don't care what race you are. I don't care how big and bad you are, whatever. If a cop pulls you over, treat them with a little respect. Because one way or another, you're going to lose if you run from them. But just give the cops their due. They're just as nervous as you are when you get pulled over. Keep your hands That's where true. you can see them. Um, I do that, and I'm a retired cop, you know, so I keep my hands mm-hmm. up where everybody can see them. Um, and, you know, then I show them my retirement ID, and, you know, we're all, we're all good. Um, but, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, goes a long way. And there's people who thought for sure they were going to get a ticket by the way they looked and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They were nice and polite, and I says, have a nice night. Uh, here's your license registration. Just take it easy. Uh, yes, definitely. But you, but you never know what you're walking into. That is very true, and unfortunately, that is a, a huge thing. And I try to teach my children and my son, especially, you know, don't joke around, be respectful, you know, because it's just you don't know. They don't know either. I had a police officer come to right. my home, and it, it was just to fill out. Uh, effort. You're, like, you're breaking up you know, a little bit. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. Okay, yeah. You were a little bit too. So he was uh, telling me that uh, he didn't know what the call was about. And I said, well, it's just, you know, identity theft, really, that there's nothing going on. It's okay. You know, then he eased off because he had his hand like right ready, you know. (laughs) And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, really, it's. This is just, I'm reporting, I'm making a report, that's it. He's like, oh, okay, well, my dispatcher didn't say what it was. And I thought, wow, you should really, because I've been a dispatcher before, you should really tell the officer what he's getting into or what he's walking into and what the call is about. And that's really not a good job as a dispatcher to, like, just leave him hanging because he doesn't know the situation. And he was alone. Exactly. Exactly. I I will tell you, um, a fireman, I give them the utmost respect. I think they have a lot more dangerous job than people think they do. You know, while the cop carries the gun, while it's the cop that goes running into a, it's the fireman that goes into a burning building uh, exactly. to look for you, and he's 
puts he puts his life on the line every time they go into a, a fire scene. And it, that can be tremendously scary. Um, I went to a house a couple times to get out of the house, but we found a person in there and we got them out. Uh, it's sometimes you just have to take a chance and do something. It's one of my um, mottos is heroes don't run away from danger. They run towards it. And yes. Or they don't, they don't, they don't turn their backs on danger. Don't turn their backs. Yes. I saw that. That's why I included that picture. It's on uh, your, the back of your Facebook or it's on your Facebook page. And I, I looked at that. I was like, that yep. was really interesting. I like that. So tell us a little bit about your books. I mean, you've got two, right? I, well, I have two published, and I'm working on a third, which you know. And my first book, Showdown in Beantown, I started in 2011. And I had this female protagonist um, kind of oh, lost no. my muse, so to speak. Yes. Um, but I ended up moving to Texas um, a few years later, and my wife... Uh, her sister, her cousin, is a uh, master's in English literature. She read it. She says, you have to finish this book. So I sat down, and I finished the book in three months. Um, just casting the characters alone, uh, the, the book took twists and turns that I did not think were going to be in there. Uh, the human trafficking that part I never thought was going to be in the book. Um, ideas come to you as you're writing and you're making little notes on your notepad and saying, okay, we're going to turn this person into a, uh, a, a bigger character part. Um, I've used relatives in exactly. my books. I've used real people in my books. Um, the character J3, he was, he was actually... Uh, the director of the DEA, and he and I are. Um, wow. Yeah, we've we've been very we've been very close for a long time. He he rose to the top. Uh, he was he rose to the top of the cream. I mean that's uh, that, that's what I can say about him. Fantastic agent. He worked on every big case that the uh, DEA had. Um, mm-hmm. You know there was. Jake Magnum, he was actually a special operation uh, spec ops guy, and I got a lot of good information from him. You know, you sit down, you research weapons, um, night vision goggles. I, I start re- researching night vision goggles, and they're getting it down to the point where they're going to be able to put nano uh, chips on contact lenses, and you'll be able to wow. see them multicolored. With a pair of contact lenses. Uh, that is awesome. The, yeah, um, slide green. That part. Oh is my not goodness. <laughs> that that part is not true, um, but it's the connection on how Sly and I got to be friends. Um, mm-hmm. Slide green. Um, he he owned the club, and after after his son passed away, and I solved the murder. Um, I don't go into the details of that in the book, just it's an aside to let everyone know how 
I got connected to Sly Green, who, who owns this R&B club and soul music plant. Um, and we all know that's just the best there is kind of music. Um, oh, yes. And, uh, yeah. So, anyways, Lady Tatiana, she has been threatened by the Albanian Mafia. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Albanian Mafia, but they are very bad people. Uh, the rest of the crime families, uh, Italians, Polish, Russians, um, they don't want to bother with them because they're very vicious. They kick oh, that bad? The, wow. Yeah, they, they push some of the Italian crime families out of some of their strongholds in New York. Um, and I have to say, I've met many, many nice Albanian people who are not into the crime, and just like Italians. Not every Italian is in the mafia. Uh, exactly. Not every Italian wants to be in the mafia. No, not every <laughs> Mexican or, uh, or um, Hispanic wants to be in a cartel. Exactly. People just want to live their lives, you know, with peace and but there's that element in our society where it takes guys like me to step up, and sometimes we have to do bad things to make bad people behave. Uh, and uh, they follow uh, Lady Tatiana's studio. Uh, she owns a media production company. That's in New York City. And her sister works at which is yeah. about 4% internet that most people don't have the slightest clue how to get on it. Uh, yes, I am aware. A lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, they tracked her up to Boston and they're making demands that um, she's got to be turned over. Well, mm. while everybody is say, quarantined in size club that I described in detail that area that he built that I didn't know he had. Uh, we're all quarantined together, and some of the flames started flickering between Lady Tatiana and Carlo. Uh, and there's other little romances going on inside. All the while, I'm trying to get as much information as I can on the Albanian Mafia and get my guys to come and play. Um, I call them shooters and looters in the book because it's what they do. <laughs> uh, and they do it very well. And uh, so the leader of the Albanian mafia, Elvin Toll, uh, it's not a real person, uh, he orders his men to find, he gets the message out there. And as you know, there's a traitor, uh, there's a fox in the hen house, so to speak. And oh, yeah. he, talks to the, he talks to the Albanians. Um, so we, um, we got ratted out as to what we were doing. Um, so I don't want to tell much more of the story, but it, it gets very, um, it gets deadly fairly quick. And in the end, we got to do what we got to do. Uh, exactly. Sly Green, he put his fingers in everything in the city. Uh, everybody thinks he made his money illegally. He's got the mayor and the police commissioner on speed dial. 
Um, I know. That, that's great how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> you're right. You never know. Right. All, all of a sudden you say, oh, I get, this is where I got to go with this. I, I've gotten up in the middle of the night and went and made notes because I'm laying there awake thinking, okay, how am I going to take this story? I got to get this part connected to this part over here. And um, an idea popped in my head and I get up and write it down. And there's some nights I sit up till six, seven o'clock in the morning, put on the coffee mm-hmm. pot. The wife would get up a little bit later and I'd still be typing away. <laughs> so those were uh, wow. a lot of long nights, but some nights I just had a flow and it came easy. The, the story told itself and all the feedback I got from uh, some of my old classmates when I did a book signing up in Buffalo, New York, um, was in a library room that held about 35 people. We had standing room only. And mm-hmm. here, the first two and a half rows are all these girls I went to high school with that I hadn't seen in 50 years. Um, wow. So they all want they all want to know what I've been doing for 50 years, and you know, they all bought the book and everything, and uh, uh, they want to know where my long red hair went to. I said, "Well, <laughs> long red hair, nice, right?" But it looks good. I mean, you look great now. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's red well, or not; you. it still looks good in the thank pictures you. that I've thank seen. Thank you. Yeah. I, yes. I started shaving my head before the basketball players started doing it. So, I, I, <laughs> so you made it popular. That. You know, they, they saw me and they said, hey, we got to do that to our heads too. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> you start a twin and that's great. <laughs> right. You know, and, and from you just reading the book, you, you know it gets very street level. I use street language. Yes. I talk. I use the language for my characters that those kind of characters would use. Um, it, it's politically incorrect, but if you're going to read a book that's politically correct, I don't think you're reading a novel anymore. You're, you're no, looking it's more like at you're that. actually into the story, and it, it actually pulled you in because you used it. It's so real and raw, and because you wrote it that way, that's the way it feels. You know, it's like this person I could actually meet on the street, or actually, you know. I mean, no, not the Albanian mob, of course, but <laughs> I wouldn't even know right. what they look like or where they go, <laughs> or where they hang out. But yeah, it definitely, like I said, it just felt like I was in the story, and just the from just the way that it was written. And I think it's fantastic the way that you wrote it, and I think people will get a lot well, out of you. it. Thank you. Well, definitely, I, I got a lot of comments like that that. Um, um, people felt like they were sitting there in the room and I'm telling the story to them and they can hear the characters. They imagine the characters. Uh, yeah, you can the way see it. I wrote them. Pardon? I, I didn't hear your last comment. Uh, the characters, like you can picture them in your head as you're reading. Yes. 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 And uh, the second book, because of uh, how the first book ended, is a sequel. And that just took off in my head. And that starts in Lithuania. Um, You know, in the back of the first book, you can read 
right. the first chapter of uh, the second book. And FSB, arms dealer, and he made a really bad deal of selling weapons to the Chechens. And I researched Chechen and Russian history, and there's been bad blood there for many, many years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 150, year, 150 years now. So he makes his massive arms sale and disappears with money. And the president uh, or premier of Russia is now a little aggravated because he's not getting his cut. His 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 weapon, his main weapons man, uh, takes off on him, and he's really upset that he armed the Chechens. So there's a couple uh, female assassins that take off and go look for him. They're contracted through the dark web. Um, and there's some really hot romance in that book, too, that you may not have expected. Um, the the um, wow. They only get the top clients because of the Russian president has picked uh, one girl, and he says, you don't worry, you don't need to work in the bars anymore. I'm going to make sure you girls all get the uh, top-end clients. Well, right. our FSB agent just happened to be in love with this girl. And, he, you know, oh. you, you see stories like that on TV where uh, one of the bad guys is in love with another woman who's just trying to make uh, her way in life. and uh, Right. And someone else also likes this woman, too. And she's not a forever girl to this premier Russian uh, president. So there's tons of backstories there. And it, this whole book takes you right through Poland. It takes you through uh, Lithuania. It takes you through um, Italy, um, down into Sicily. And now the Sicilian mob gets involved in the story. Wow. Uh, there's, I feel there's a real surprise ending with that one. Something uh, at the end happens that nobody sees coming. Not after the interaction that all these people were having um, in the book. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I tried to, I tried to keep it real. Yes. And I can definitely appreciate that. Definitely. It, it, it really is. It's like you're watching it as you're reading it and you're part of the story that takes on. So, And the second book is called The Rise of Chloe. Yes. That, and that's a, like I said, it's a sequel. Um, and this, that's doing pretty good, too. I'm getting five-star reviews on that also. And, nice. Um, yeah. Um, I love those five-star reviews. Um, <laughs> well, definitely. So and well, they're well, I, yeah. Yeah, I was going to do a book signing yesterday at a place called Total Wine. Oh, when, nice. Um, okay. Yes, uh, but when uh, Corona came out, uh, they had to cancel all their activities, which one was mine. I had my schedule full all this week with another book signing at the end, but that's been put off. So uh, now I don't know when I'm going to end up doing the book signings. They have to give the all clear before they'll uh, do well, that. Well, hopefully with uh, all of the 
you know, with all the self-quarantine and, you know, social distancing, that should probably, you know, maybe for the next 14 days or so, maybe by April, we'll see an upswing. You know, there's not as many deaths as I thought. Uh, There's more cases reported, confirmed, but no, not as many deaths. The death toll is not that high for this. So I'm thinking, you know, if everyone cooperates with that, I think we'll probably be back in back in the swing of things in probably April, April or May even. But I hope so. And just to let you know, for those of you just joining us, we are talking with Carlo Cavazzuti, crime novelist, a former police officer who is uh, kind of giving us the scoop on some cases that, and he's based his books on real life experiences. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back for more with Carlo Cavazzuti. Interracial Romance by Donna R. Mercer, a new release on December 3rd, is now available for pre-orders on Amazon. Roman is a playboy, but one too many scandals has put his CEO position in jeopardy. He must find a nice girl one that the board of Hemingway Industries would approve of and get married before the new year. Maya is just the woman he needs with her wholesome, clean image. Roman is the one man who has ever held a place in her heart. But she has no plans of marriage, only philanthropy. So Roman must prove his love and earn Kamaya's trust or risk losing it all. Everyone needs a little cream in their hot coffee. An Interracial Romance by Donna R. Mercer. For more information, visit www.donnarmercer.com. Hot coffee. Get your copy today. You are listening to Mahogany Says Radio Show with Mahogany Silvering. MahoganySilvering.net. And we're back. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen tonight to the Mahogany Says Show. And we're talking with Carlo Cavazzuti. Now, Carlo. Uh, tell me, yeah. what is hardest for you? Uh, which came first, the plot or your characters? Um, the plot came first. 
And then I decided, okay, who I'm going to model my characters after. And, and of course, you know, the heroes always has to have the beautiful women. And of course, you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're you know, they're the guys everybody looks at, and uh, um, and I had to have some female antagonists in there also that kind of went back and forth with Lady Tatiana. And I developed that character um, being the same. Everybody's got to have their own little niche. Um, exactly. In the, in the books, all the guys shoot. Uh, that's just a given considering their backgrounds. Uh, but all guys don't know all things. And True. So you have to make them all a little uniquely separate. And sometimes when I was working on a plot, um, I had the characters all developed for that sequence in the book, but I had to work them into a plot. Okay, where were these Albanians going to get their weapons? Did they bring them with them? Did they need more? Where were they going to get some of their uh, night vision stuff? Because uh, there's some things that happened at night in there that that were very... Um, hard to do without some kind of night vision. Um, so we had to look at all that. There were times where I sat and said, this is not flowing right. My timeline is messed up. I got to go back and move chapters around and make sure I got them all in the right places. And uh, my wife, bless her heart, she sat and read and read and read, edit after edit. <laughs> And she says, oh, you know, that, that's a good chapter. Or, you know, those chapters are, are good, or you might need to change this or that. And uh, one of my chapters in the book, as you know, was she's a brick house. And <laughs> my, my, my publisher, um, she says, Carlo, um, that could be very offensive to black women. So she lives up in Minnesota. No. <laughs> she says, why this can be. And and I said, no, that's not true. She says, yes, I think I think you're going to catch some flack for that. Uh, I, I said, my publisher, very, very nice lady, uh, Nancy Schumacher from Melange Publishing. Um, I said, Nancy, I said, black women take this as a compliment. She says, are you yes. sure? Went to a Sam's, and we know everybody in there because I shop daily. I just like getting out, going <laughs> to the store and shopping and stuff. And there's a young girl behind the pharmacy counter, and we've all kind of gotten friendly and talked a lot. And, and I said, Jenna, if a young man came up to you and said that you were a brick house. I said, how would you take that as a compliment or an insult? She says, oh, my gosh. She says, that's the best compliment. You can pay a black woman. And she <laughs> said, if, if a man told my mother that, she'd be blushing for four months. <laughs> and so yeah. I said, okay. I said, because my publisher thought it might be a little offensive. So I, I had to um, 
uh, teach my publisher about how things are within other ethnic groups at times. Right. And but I I didn't get any fee, uh, negative feedback from that or anything. So uh, it, it's if it's all nice and lily white, no. <laughs> uh, no. It really doesn't. If, if I try to tiptoe around the culture, that's not being real. You know, no, it's, it's not. It's, right. And it, it, it's like cops and the bad guys. Every time they go grab their gun, you know how they wrap one, wrap the slide back and put a bullet in the, in the uh, barrel? Mm-hmm. That just, that just does not ever happen. No. Nope. Any cop, any <laughs> Any bad guy, any military guy, it, when they want to pull the trigger, they won't want to be standing around pulling the slide back or the uh, ejector rod. And when it goes back forward, it feeds another round in. Uh, you don't want to be doing that. You, you've got to be ready to shoot. you got to be ready to you, go, yes. If you pull it, you're going to have to use it. That's the second difference could mean life or death to you. Yes. So. You don't have but, time to you know, do that. Just, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and I mentioned that in my book. Um, so, you know, you you got to make sure it's lifelike, you know, the real thing. How do the guys talk with each other? And even in the book, a lot of the guys, the first book, a lot of guys would sit around and uh, they'd maybe play cards or whatever or, they all had their own ways of dealing with stress. Right. A lot of it was alcohol. Uh, <laughs> I don't know many yeah, cops. Yeah, I guess and, that's why they're uh, stop, right? <laughs> yep, special operators, um, you know, they drink. And uh, uh, some of them, they have to take some pills. And, and other ones just stay quiet and off themselves or they'll sit down and read a book. And it's tough because when they go out, they're 100% on. And yeah. you can't be worrying about something that's going on at home or this or that. Uh, no. You've got to be 100%. And you're not no help to the team if you're off in some la-la land. Exactly. You can't take a mental health day. <laughs> you're either no. on or you're not. No. Right. Which is also why they, right. they suggest that when you've actually used your gun and you've actually killed someone or actually fired your gun, don't you have to talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist to kind of help you go through that to see if you're yes. ready to go back? Right. And usually the only people that don't need to talk to a psychiatrist are um, sociopaths. Um, and just, uh, it, you know, killers, they, they're serial killers. They right. don't want to talk to because they don't feel anything. Exactly, um, they don't need to. Right, right. Um, but killing someone and having to pull the, having to pull the trigger on someone knowing that you're going to take their life, uh, a lot of guys have a hard time thinking about that and dealing with it. But 
at the end of the day, you want to go home, you want to be with your family or hang with your buddies or whatever. And sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. Yeah. Sometimes it can't be avoided. Right, right. And you get involved with internal affairs and they're asking you a million questions. They're not so concerned about your mental health as the psychologist would be. Um, right. They're more, a lot trying, of more or less trying to justify, yeah, to see if your right. shoot was actually, you know, a justified use of force. Right. But Yeah, and the guys now that are out there fighting in Iraq and wherever we're sending them, their hurt comes from their buddies getting killed. These are people yes. that have their back, and you have their back. And when they die or they're blown to bits or whatever, you, you have some issues that you need to work through. Uh, every special operator uh, I've ever talked to says the same thing, that they – they're not the same person once they come back from war. Uh, Chris right. Kyle, as much as I admire him, you know, he had some issues and he had a lot of sleepless nights. And uh, life is what it is. Uh, you know, if you could build a perfect soldier, um, there wouldn't be a, a need to um, send our young men to war all the time. But we can't sure. build soldiers. You know, who knows? No. Maybe someday. In the future, uh, you know, Arnold will make another sequel to uh, uh, <laughs> come down a big ball of light. And, uh, oh, my goodness. I'm back. <laughs> yes. So. How many times have you been back already? <laughs> Terminator. Yeah. I don't think he ever dies. He always comes back something. <laughs> yeah. You know, in four days, he still looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he does actually. He really does. So, what's a typical writing day like for you? Do you spend more time writing? Well, I, I spend I spend my time usually when I, my routine is get up, put the coffee on, or my wife will put it on if she gets up before me. Sit down, read my emails and stuff, and see if there's anything I have to address from my publisher or anything. Um, and w- once I do my tweets and my Facebook, it's the night before. And right. I like to do my reading at night. It's There's no hustle and bustle of the outside world. You know, I got my grocery shopping done, and I can come right. and sit down at my computer, make myself a drink, and uh, start writing. And sometimes one of the hardest things to do is you know where your book has to go. You know where you want it to go. Right. And you're in the middle of the book and it's like, what's my next chapter? And you just have this blank and you think and you think and then once I get a sentence or two down, then the whole rest of it comes. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I re- reread it, sometimes I have to rearrange things, you know, in the morning. But uh, uh, I do most of my, my writing at night. And I'll, I usually write from, I would say, 6 o'clock to maybe 10 o'clock. Um, 
then go in and sit down with my wife, have another cocktail, and we'll watch some TV. And uh, that's what my day is like. And, you know, sometimes I go to the gym and uh, um, get back from there about 4 or 5 and get ready, you know, for dinner and then mm-hmm. sit down in front of the computer. I'm in front of my computer a lot. It doesn't help my arthritis in my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I have to get up and move around. I, I do understand that. I have arthritis in my neck and my back. So, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely good yeah, to get up it, and move around. Right, right. It's it's no fun. It's no fun, especially if I'm riding longhand and you can hear the bones crunching in your wrist. <laughs> and my wife would say, well, what's that noise? I said, it's just my wrist. This <laughs> <Just> Rice Krispies. <laughs> Crack, uh, yes, what's yes, that? That crackle and pop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There are days when that's but, all you yeah. can hear. Crunch. <laughs> yeah. Now, the third book, I'll give you a little uh, teaser of what's going on with that. Um, yeah. all, all the books start in Boston. The first two and this third one starts in Boston. Because uh, Carlo, that's where his life is. Now, it, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I was a private investigator and I was also a bodyguard. I had some very, very big clients I drove around. Um, most of them were pretty decent. There were some that were idiots. Uh, I had one CEO of a computer company. Boy, every time he came out of a restaurant, he brought me food. I drove him and his <laughs> wife around. Wow. I'd take him into work, go back and pick her up, um, take her shopping. And, you know, I knew where all the stores were. And it, sometimes at night, they'd go to a baseball game, go out to dinner. And one night he says to me, he says, what are you doing tonight? I said, absolutely nothing. He says, well, now you are. He hands me four boxy tickets to a Yankees-Red Sox game. Wow. I'm in row eight. Right behind the, yeah, the Yankees dugout. And, uh, and he, him and his wife were excellent people. They took very, very good care of me. And I had some other people that were just awesome, crazy, funny. And, uh, you know, I had a presidential candidate. I... Um, worked the Democratic National Convention uh, uh-huh. in 2004. I was based at the Four Seasons where they were all staying. And, uh, you know, politics aside, I met some very nice people there. And there were some that were, you know, stick in the mud, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I, met Lisa, I met Lisa Lane, a uh, uh, very, very nice young lady. Um um, Heather um, Locklear, very, very oh, wow. nice lady. Very, yeah, very classy. And my favorite was Maya Angelou. And, oh, my goodness, you uh, met her. I did. And she says, young man, and I'm looking around to see who she's talking to. And she, she says, yes, I mean you. And she said, would you escort me and my friend up to our room? I said, I would be honored. And we chatted like we were good friends, you know. And I met James Carville. We talked about shaving heads one night. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, you treat people the way they treat you. And, and 
they just bother you that much with what they do or say, you just you let them go. You, you just, mm-hmm. you know, walk away from it. it. It doesn't make sense to argue with people that don't have your same beliefs and and always be uptight about what they're going to say next and everything. So, uh, but getting right. back to the third book, um, mm-hmm. the third book, a bunch of us take off on motorcycles and we just go for a ride. This one young man who's not in either one of the first two books, um, he said, I need to get out of town. I need to go clear my head because he's a, he's a performer um, and he just got accepted into the Brookline Police Department in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he's, um, he's, he's got a real nice lady and and a baby, and he said, I just need to get away. Just need to get away. And so I said, okay, let me call, you know, another friend. And we head down to uh, this little area on the uh, Mexican-Texas border. And um, the name of the book is The Long Ride to Perdition. And Perdition uh-huh. is uh, uh, it's a fictional town and it died during the Depression. And there's only a couple uh-huh. of buildings still standing that have anything. And there's the Mexican, the Juarez cartel, and there's the, an outlaw motorcycle gang that's involved, and the corruption and everything. And um, there's, a, I have a federal judge in the book, and I named he He's the great-great-grandson of the Judge Roy Bean. Um, oh. That, that's fictional, but I just named him, right. as, you know, Harry Bean, you know, and, and that's his name. <laughs> um, and he he's probably corrupt in a different way than Roy Bean was. Roy Bean held his court in the saloon every day or when it, he decided to do it. And, and of course, they run into a character from out of the past of Carlos' life. Um, and, you know, it all involves guns and drugs and people getting shot and killed and, um, you know, revenge. And uh, there's a little bit of romance in there, too. You know, you got to have a little bit of that. You can't have all yes, the violence. Of course. Romance. <laughs> and there's a... Um, a special character in there, which I asked you about, and her name is Silver. And she, um, this Silver is a very intriguing character. She works for very powerful people that will pay her what she wants. Mm-hmm. She likes to have adult fun and, um, She's very, very bright. Uh, the way I picture this woman, she's very attractive. And um, she graduated from um, MIT um, at 22 with a doctor's degree in uh, computers. And she can get in any system, anytime, anywhere. Oh, but nice. Have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. So not only is she bright, she's uh, very beautiful. 
and uh, uh, I, I think you're going to like her full character once you're once uh, the book is finished. Yes, I'm so. excited about that. I, w- I definitely want to read it because I'm honored. I mean, I was just like, wow. When you asked me, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> I would love to be part of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I any girl like, like person <laughs> I use as a character in that, I always ask them, hey, this is what I'm writing. Are you good with it? Um, and nobody's turned me down yet. Nobody's turned no, me down. I mean, so, you write really great characters, so, you know, it's like, hey, <laughs> why not? Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I picture Silver, and I can hear her voice. She has been on, um, she's been on a cop show. Uh, I think uh, Law and Order or SUV or whatever like that. I can mm-hmm. hear her voice talking through this image I have of this character, and she's got this slow, smooth voice, and um, you know she drinks top of the line alcohol and stuff, and um, she's just smooth, smooth as silk, and. Uh, she's going to be. She's a very unique character in the book. So, well, it sounds like it's going to be a really good book. So, I'm definitely going to have to promote that one too because <laughs> I like the character already from from what you told me about okay. it. Most definitely, yes. So, do you have a website or a place where people can follow you? Instagram, social media. Yes, um, I'm at I'm at Twitter. Um, Twitter is at Carlo Cav C A B one Carlo Cav one, and on Facebook it's CavazutiCrime dot com. That's Cavazuti spelled C A B A Z U T T I Crime dot com, and um, I also have a um, a website too. Um, let me pull it up here. I have so many accounts half the time. I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I understand. And see. So you have a website. You got Facebook, Twitter, yep. Instagram. Um, no, I'm not on Instagram. Um, so my website is cabazutycrime.com. Okay, cabazutycrime.com. Nice. Yep. So, is there any? Yeah. We're we're nearing the end of the show, but I thank you for coming on the show and talking. And I definitely want to have you come on again, especially when your your third book comes out. And. I really, you know, enjoyed talking with you and getting to, you know, hear more about your books and your work. And I hope that other people listening to the show will start becoming a fan and reading your books and getting your work out there. So I, I thank you for including me in your third book <laughs> and for coming on the show. <laughs> well, you, you know, she may be a, a repeat um, performer in my book. And I thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I thank you for all the kind things you've said um, and helping me with getting my book out there. 
and I know that you're a, a kick-ass writer yourself, and you have a unique writing style. And uh, the oh, thank uh, you. stuff that I've read about you, um, I, I could picture the characters. Thank you very much, <laughs> and I look forward to your next talk. All right. Thank you for coming on the show. I thank you all listeners for tuning in tonight to the Mahogany Says Show with Carlo Cavazzuti. I want you all to be safe, be careful, use the protocols, wash your hands, and I wish you peace, blessings, and love. Same to you. have been listening to Mahogany Says with Mahogany Silverine at MahoganySilverine.net. Thank you and good night.